1: Welcome, it's 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday, September 1st, 2021. Wake me up when September not ends, but begins. And thanks for joining us for the 116th episode of the Rock and Roll Shrink Radio Show here on Blog Talk Radio. Special thanks to our host, NDB Media. I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight is Dr. Stephen Mathis, also known as the Rock and Roll Shrink. <laughs> We'll be taking calls from our listeners all evening during the show at 914-338-0314. You can also follow along in our live chat room on blogtalkradio.com as the show is happening. Before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers. This show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship nor legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro, and are not an official stance on behalf of the psychological community or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies. Okay, now a topic relevant bit of music played by Dr. Mathis himself. Take it away, Doc. As always, thank you very much for that. And if you don't mind, please let us know the name of the song and the artist and its relevance to tonight's
2: topic. Okay, so that was a uh, piece of music from uh, <clears throat> excuse me from Green Day, uh, and most of us probably have heard that at least three or four hundred times before. Uh, <laughs> called Basket Case, uh, which is about a guy needing therapy, basically, and trying to find it and advice from different sources. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to uh, have that as our opener for this evening.
1: Oh, isn't that perfect? All right, fantastic. As Dr. Mathis mentions, tonight's episode is entitled "Doctor Feel Good: Choosing Online Therapists," and there's a slight nod in there to Mootly Korea. which we'll discuss in a moment. So before we begin on the topic discussion, however, let's first go to the Rock and Roll Shrink Recalls, a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by Dr. Mathis, if you would, sir.
2: Okay, so uh, I actually had this for last time, but we, uh, for whatever reason, didn't do the trivia section, so I thought I'd do it this time. Um, So I'm going to talk about a band that a lot of people know, I don't know if they know they know it, and they probably don't know the history, but the band is called Badfinger, and they were a Beatles protege band back in the day, Uh, although they originally came from Wales, from uh, a town in Wales, Swansea, uh, and were originally named for a street that goes in Swansea called the Ivy which is uh, the actual Ivy Place. And uh, so they originally were called the Ivies back in the day when they formed, I think in 61, I think is correct. And they were basically, you know, your average type local band um, doing covers and uh, their own stuff. And opening for bands like uh, the Kinks, the Moody Blues, the Yardbirds, uh, the Who, Spencer Davis Group, that sort of thing. They came to the attention of Apple and uh, were signed to Apple. And they just changed their name to Badfinger. And the origins of the name vary depending on who you talk to. So half the camp says... Oh, well, it was named after the Beatles' uh, record because they were in the process of writing and recording it with a little help from my friends, which, while they were in the process of writing it, had the tentative title before they had the lyrics and everything, Bad Finger Boogie. <laughs> Other folks uh, said, no, it really came, uh, and I think this is Harrison, and said, it really came from a stripper, that the Beatles met in Hamburg, Germany, during their time at, uh, the, in Hamburg playing. And the name of the stripper was Helga Fabedinger. <laughs> so whichever one of those two explanations you like, uh, all conjectures aside, uh, they became Badfinger. And originally got a tune written by Paul McCartney, which most people don't know. He is the author of this. Paul had written a bunch of songs for a, um, uh, a movie coming out uh, called Mag- The Magic Christian. And he had written a, group called, come, a song called Come and Get It. And he gave it to Badfinger to record, which became their first hit. So that was actually a Paul McCartney song that he gave to them. They didn't actually write that song. So they came in anyway, and they did that, and then recorded quite a number of uh, other songs on that became very, very famous, including uh, No Matter What, which everybody knows. And what's interesting is that song was originally rejected as a single by Apple Records, which I thought was very, very funny, uh, because that's like one of their hottest songs, and went out and were in the studio recording and then went to do a second record uh, in which their... Big song off that record was Without You, uh, which most people attribute to the vocalist Harry Nielsen, who made it famous, but he had nothing to do with the writing. That is a Badfinger song. Uh, I think Paul McCartney called that like the best love ballad ever written. Mm-hmm. At any rate, uh, it won them all kinds of awards. and Evans, uh, two of the guys in Badfinger wrote that, and in 72 it won them Song of the Year uh, award for that. And eventually, uh, as Apple started getting funky, uh, they signed with a manager guy. And it was actually a New York businessman called uh, Stan Polley who was basically a huge con artist, even though he actually was also managing uh, Al Cooper uh, of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. But unfortunately, his reputation was somewhat, um, shall we say, dark and it was well-earned <laughs> because the guy was basically a con artist who stole everybody's money. Uh, kind of like another, uh, another uh, record person that uh, John Fogarty had a lot of problems with, who shall remain nameless for obvious reasons, even, even though I think the gentleman's dead at this point. At any rate, uh, th- so they were doing the first couple of records, and then as you know, Beatles disbanded. Uh, Apple was in disarray. And about that time, George Harrison of the Beatles, who was buddies with Ravi Shinkar, who had taught him to play sitar, and he'd become very involved in the uh, Indian uh, spiritual movement, uh, Ravi approached him about playing a concert for Bangladesh, which he then played and got a bunch of other very famous musicians to play on, including... Uh, Ringo Starr and uh, Eric Clapton and it was really interesting because people were going I cannot believe you actually asked Clapton to play for this thing because that was in the early stages where Clapton was trying to get over heroin addiction and he was in horrible withdrawal at the time Uh, and they were like is he even going to make it (laughs) to the show Uh, but at any rate uh, he did make it to the show and play for it Ringo Starr uh, played for it and uh, did did a song that uh, Harrison produced and co-wrote for him at Don't Come Easy. That's a Harrison tune. Uh, and he also got the guys in Badfinger to come and play acoustic instruments. So, you know, but there was also a – I mean, this was literally a star-studded uh, extravaganza. They did two shows at Madison Square Garden – and um, Leon Russell was there and, and played for it. Klaus Voorman, who was a longtime friend of the Beatles they met in Hamburg, who was an artist and bass player, was playing bass on it, played bass on a lot of the George Harrison stuff. Uh, Leon Russell came and played piano and, and did some songs. Uh, who's the um, the black guy with the fro that played keyboards on a lot of the Beatles stuff? Um, oh, you're oh, asking gotcha. the
1: wrong person. That's yeah, not I'm my having, forte. I'm having
2: a... <laughs> I'm having Mr. Anomia is having another Anomia moment, but he came and played. Uh, that that's the way God planned it. Billy Preston, and just oh, really great, oh. yeah, okay. really great keyboard player, and played with them. Played uh, organ on that, and uh, so they they really had a star-studded group of people, and also Jim Keltner on drums, also along during the star Jim Keltner. People, one of the best uh, known studio drummers who's played on everything, including the drummer for the Traveling Wilburys. So he's done just tons and tons and tons and tons of things. Yeah. At any rate, when Apple started going under um, and Poland sort of took over, uh, he basically stole everybody's money. I mean, and really bankrupted uh, Badfinger, and they got very depressed and one of the gentlemen in Badfinger, after a major, they had a big contract dispute with him, and big, big um, turmoil, and what you know, they were going to court and all this kind of good junk. And this guy stole a, just a shoot ton of money from Badfinger, and basically they got a call from their accountant saying they were basically dead broke. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, Pete Ham uh, hung himself.
0: Oh, so Uh, literally
2: uh, dead dead broke. Yeah, no shit. And for a change, that was not a joke on my part. Uh, Hung himself uh, with a note to the girlfriend uh, basically saying, I'm sorry, I'm not going to see your daughter before it's born. And that uh, this guy is a, you know, that Stan Poley is a soulless bastard. I'm going to take him with him with me. Uh, but anyway, that, uh, hung himself, I think in his garage, if I'm not mistaken, or of course, if you're in Britain, in his garage, uh, <clears throat> oh
1: yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. By the
2: uh, 20, motorway. Yeah. 27 years old, uh, after a night of drinking. And I suspect, try, I suspect trying to get his, uh, drink his blues away and that didn't happen. And he ended up, uh, killing himself. And then, uh, a couple of years later, uh, another one of his bandmates, um, because of the circumstances, uh, also ended up hanging himself in the garden. So that band has had two suicides uh, as a result of all the crappy stuff that uh, Poli did. And They tried to go on. Uh, the two remaining members uh, tried to go on, um, Evans and Moland, but uh, it just didn't quite work out. They had a lot of... Uh, animosity between the two of them and they got replacements but it was just kind of on and off again and uh they toured (sighs) somewhat and played somewhat at places like the angora ballroom and that sort of thing but never quite uh never quite made it and they sort of by the 80s they sort of uh i think by mid 80s they sort of you know kind of petered out petered out yeah. yeah. Um and it's really sad because they really, you know, day after day was another one of their great records. I mean, they have a if you go look at their first two records, there is just a boat ton of amazingly good songs off those two records. And of course, I can't remember, I always get these two confused, so I don't want to embarrass myself, but one of the guys in band figure looked like Paul McCartney and another one sang like Paul McCartney. Uh, it's just, it's of course, they got razzed about that a lot, uh, but I'm like, you know, there's a lot worse things than sounding and looking like Paul McCartney and the Beatles. <laughs> so, I was going to say, that should be a compliment, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding. I don't think they thought it was very complimentary, but at any rate, the other yeah. thing that most people don't know is that um, prior to the Bangladesh concert, Harrison was actually uh, producing their record and is actually on, cause if you listen to the song day after day, which is one of my favorite tunes by them, there's like a dual slide guitar on there. That's Harrison playing slide guitar on one of the guitars. Uh, after oh. he left to, okay. to organize the, um, of course they played for Bangladesh, but he had a lot of organizing and practicing to do, and he couldn't, you know, do that and produce the album. So another person that a lot of people know, but they don't know, they know, uh, actually finished producing the, the record. And I think, uh, Produced the record after that as well, um, Todd Rundgren.
0: Oh, who's actually, okay.
2: Yeah, he's actually on tour right now, so uh, really, okay. That's kind of the story of uh, Badfinger. It's really a sad band uh, in the sense that they had two suicides in the band, simply because they got skunked by uh, poor, you know, poor uh, investments man- due to their manager stuff, who basically stole all their money. That's just really uh,
1: that's a shame. It's really
2: sad. Because uh, I think that had they stayed together, they could have really, uh, really done a lot of good things, and you know, been kind of a more long-lasting band. But at any rate, uh, that's kind of the story, and uh, their connection with the Beatles and Harrison, and uh, the concert for Bangladesh, which is absolutely one of my all-time favorite live shows, and actually one of the very first major benefits that was sort of the inspiration for Geldof doing uh, a lot of the stuff that he does after that. So
1: oh, oh, God, I forgot. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah,
2: Harrison was sort of his inspiration. The Bangladesh was sort of his inspiration.
1: Wow, okay.
2: So there you have it.
1: All right, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for that. Yeah. good times on trivia section and uh, again we'll be taking calls from our listeners and questions in the online chat room throughout the rest of the evening until around midnight so feel free to give us a call or come on into the chat room and if you want to call the number is 914-338-0314. All righty so Dr. feel good choosing online therapists and this kind of came out of a conversation on our last show We had gotten to talking about that and saying, you know, we really haven't talked about this, and it's something that people got thrown into without really a lot of experience on how to navigate. So we thought we'd do that tonight, and here we are. So tonight's show is about how to choose a good online mental health therapist or professional. In this era of COVID quarantine and so many services moving temporarily but somewhat long-term-ish, to online, and truthfully with very little notice or preparation compared to the that one would have expected prior to the pandemic. Many mental health professionals have struggled to provide a high-quality level of effective service over the phone or through video chat. Prior to 2020, many had never offered this service before and had to throw together some mechanic for this in a matter of weeks. In some cases, with little or no professional computer or Internet help to set it up. Um, I know Dr. Mathis was offering uh, phone or video help before that, but we actually spent several months helping him set that up. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we happened to actually be ready for that, but most people were not. So there are significant differences in providing mental health help between in-person visits and telehealth visits And we want to discuss some of the issues that come up with this arrangement, both for the patients and for the professionals. So tonight we're going to discuss types of online and virtual mental health help, how traditional sessions differ from online sessions, and how to choose a good online mental health professional. And before we get started, I'm going to check in, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything you want to bring up before we get started.
2: Nope, I'm good. Thank you.
1: Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about real quick is types of online and virtual mental health help. Uh, Many of you already know at least some of these, but let's just give you an overview of the kinds of things that have been out there and that have sprung up in the last year. So let's begin our discussion by just quickly giving you an overview of some of the newer options that have sprung up in the last year. Obviously the top three contenders mostly because these frameworks existed to some extent prior to quarantine, are phone consults, video consults, which is, you know, Zoom or WebEx or things like that, and some texting, you know, by phone, conversations by text. These three methods have expanded and undergone some serious updating. The next most popular method is dedicated apps, you know, phone apps. And here are the names of a few, plus some of the aspects and considerations of using them. Uh, Some of the more popular names in the arena right now are AmWell, like I am well, uh, MD Live, BetterHelp, that's one of the biggest ones for mental health assistance. Talkspace, that's probably the second biggest, uh, Regain, Doctor on Demand, and Seven Cups. And Seven Cups... I think it has something to do with coffee. It's very strange. (laughs) So some of the pros of almost all of these that were mentioned, uh, most of them uh, are or can be made to be HIPAA compliant. Um, They're very flexible in their scheduling. Many of them are free or at least cheaper than traditional therapy. And some of them even do insurance, which is kind of nice because people are scrambling to get mental health help and A lot of them got stranded from their insurance company because they wouldn't do it, but several of these do take insurance or are accepted by your insurance. Now, some of the cons, there are more of those, and I'm not saying these to discourage you from this, but just so that you go into it with open eyes, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But cons can be... um, Sometimes it's difficult to find a good match. I actually went through that with one of these services, um, trying to find somebody that was a good match for me. Now, I'm a little difficult to match with, as Dr. Mathis knows. (laughs) But, uh, you know, some people can make do with certain kinds of mental health professionals and some people can't. And with some of these online services, they don't have the... um, get-to-know-you factor that some of the uh, in-person ones do. But you can kind of go through things faster because you can just talk to them for a little bit on the phone, see if you like them, and then it's over. You know, So it's kind of good and bad with that one. Um, Some of them do not take insurance. That can be a problem. Uh, Some of them provide mediocre care. You can get that anywhere, but because doing it virtually is so new, Uh, They have a lot of bumps in the road that way. Um, Many of these systems are geared for very short-term care or what I call a band-aid approach. And truth be told, with the scramble that we had in the last year, maybe that's fine for now. Um, If you're desperate to talk to somebody just because you've been cooped up in your house and you don't want to do something really bad, um, you know, better that than nobody but do understand that that's not the greatest long-term approach. So just, I put that in the cons column for a reason. Um, Some of these are not that cheap for less service than you would get in person. Um, Some of them have very poor vetting, and some of them are just staffed by volunteers. Again, I'm not ragging on the volunteers, but like a lot of professional things, like regular doctors or, you know, working on your car, your house Um, if you can get somebody to do it for free that's fantastic but sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you get what you pay for and that's where you got to be careful so before we go on I'm going to check in with you dr. Mathis and see if there's anything else that you would like to say about that part of this evening
2: yeah the only thing I'd say is let the buyer beware because I can tell you that I have been approached by several of these folks uh, that you list here and they pay very poorly to clinicians uh, because they typically hire master's level clinicians who really uh, they're fine for certain folks i'm certainly not knocking them i mean i have two master's degrees so i'm not slacking, uh, slamming master's level persons per se but they're hiring lower level persons because they're not paying any you know they're not paying worth crap uh, and they act like they're doing you a favor, and it's just, you know, the, the clinician a favor, and it's just really minimal. Uh, <clears throat> the ones that use video chat are certainly better. Uh, I would discourage anyone from doing testing chat, uh, chat ever with a mental health condition. Oh, yeah. I think that is extremely yeah slip-shoddy because you miss out the tone of voice and the body language and all that kind of stuff. I would never, ever, ever recommend that. Um, and if you've got a really serious issue, I would recommend finding somebody who's uh, an expert in your area if you have a serious issue or if you have a convoluted case. And, you know, it's worth it for you to pony up the bucks to get real help as opposed to slip-shod help, which is only going to make it worse in the long run. Um, and, and again, if you have a garden variety, whatever, you're short-term, you know, dysthymic disorder because you broke up with your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, uh, your pet died and you're having a grief reaction and you just need somebody to be supportive, so absolutely, no, no problem. Um, but if you've got something really bad, some really long-standing thing, uh, I would really advise against doing this unless you have an ongoing relationship with a real professional who's providing services independently, and there's plenty of them out there who are doing good work apart from not being part of these uh, conglomerates, as I'm going to call them.
1: Yeah. And we're also, we're going to expand on that comment uh, at, in the last section when we talk about uh, how to go through picking somebody and what to look for. We're definitely going to talk about these and some related issues. So definitely support that. Yes. All right. So let's go to section two, which is how traditional sessions differ from online sessions. That's going to get into a little bit of what Dr. Mathis was just mentioning, um, because there are some differences. And that's the bigger point of the entire show is that you can get some valid help virtually. And we don't want to discourage people from getting some help. Some help is better than no help most of the time. But... Understand what you're buying, understand what you may not get so that if you do get an opportunity for in-person, you can cover the gap and talk to your clinician about what you have done so that, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel and you can start making progress. So um, how it differs for patients, for the vast majority of people, there were suddenly two major demographics in crisis, and I mean that when the quarantine began and everything had to become virtual. Uh, the first group was people who were already in regular therapy with somebody being suddenly thrown into chaos or even losing access to the usual professionals, depending on what the uh, you know quarantine rules were in your area, plus the added stressors of quarantine life, such as major income social and family changes to deal with on top of whatever other pathologies might have already been on your plate. And then you had this on top of those. And then the second group was some people who may have been trying to begin a new arrangement for counseling amidst the sheer chaos of the pandemic and ever-changing restrictions. I have a family friend who actually lost their uh, one mental, they had two mental health professionals they deal with on a regular basis And one of them retired two months before quarantine shut down. So, and this is somebody they would had a relationship for many, many years. So imagine the chaos of trying to navigate that normally and and how upsetting it can be. And then throw quarantine on top of that. And that's why I'm saying, you know, the Band-Aid is fine for now because we we are in an emergency even still. It may not seem like it after this many months, but we really are. So... You know, basically there's two large groups of, of people that are having these situations going on. Now, from the therapist's end, this is what's going on for a lot of the clinicians. So many therapists had only minimal experience with doing telehealth appointments, especially in mental health th- settings, where testing, body language, and other in-person, often subconscious context clues were all part of the arsenal of diagnostic tools for a clinician. Managing such things was discouraged virtually unless an extenuating circumstance made it necessary Such as some kind of extreme phobia physical disability issues Contagion transportation problems and that kind of thing and it would have to be pretty extreme Um, Therapists were equally blindsided by having to suddenly force a method to work that had been previously considered inferior and heavily frowned upon in professional communities additionally Many providers had little or no professional staff or even third-party providers to set up virtual communications that were professionally sound, you know, HIPAA compliant and worked very well and were compatible with everybody's stuff and so on, and easy for non-computer people to use for this purpose. You know, there are clinicians who can do this stuff. There are a ton who cannot. All due respect, Dr. Mathis. And many clinicians, as soon as they hung out a cyber shingle, so to speak, were inundated with requests, as not only was it difficult to find anybody who would, but many people had new exacerbated problems from the pandemic, such as depression, anxiety, domestic violence and related traumas, traumatic losses, PTSD, et cetera, and they needed immediate help anywhere they could get it. And a lot of the regular clinicians were not ready. So... If you got spun up, that was great. And then you got hammered. So for both patients and clinicians, traditional sessions rely on a more robust and complicated set of interactions, of which talking and maybe some limited visual cues from video are only a subset. And some people have anxiousness about being on video, whether it's rational or not, and it interferes with the process. Now, not all differences between the two are bleak however the virtual clinic has opened up an enormous number of possibilities for all of its flaws it's much easier to shop around for a provider that is a good fit because now one is no longer limited by geography or time zone I do have one caveat to that about licensure and we're going to talk about that in section 3 so don't forget I'll come back to this part if that's what you're thinking okay often virtual sessions are cheaper and are now covered by most insurances. Uh, They didn't always used to be. So more people can afford help. Balancing home, school, work, and family obligations, and and by this I mean schedule-wise, especially in pandemic chaos, are more manageable when you don't have to drive after work or take off for appointments. It also affords an easier chance to try out a new provider and less anxiety and drama if it does not fit well. one person I was talking to about it had said um, they were trying out a couple of new people and they were talking to one person on the phone and it really wasn't a good fit. And it was a lot less anxious for them to kind of tell the person thanks, but no thanks because they weren't sitting in an office and they didn't take off work for three hours to do this. And, you know, it was a very low effort, low drama appointment. So, Deciding to cut ties was also low drama and low effort, and that was nice. Um, providers and patients can adjust their spaces, their physical spaces, to be a bit more comforting with you know, refreshments, lighting, and so on in a way that in a shared office building might either be a distraction or just too hard to do. There's more privacy to cry or confess or decompress from a session that you might not get in a regular office setting. And at this point, I'm going to pause and check in with Dr. Mathis and see if he would like to add anything.
2: Yeah, one thing I really, uh, the biggest down <clears throat> for online sessions is you cannot do testing. And without testing, you don't know what you got. So if somebody presents with a fairly easy problem that doesn't require extensive yeah uh, psych- you know psychological testing or neurological testing or whatever psychoeducational testing whatever then that's fine um, <clears throat> but if you if that's not the case, you really take your mental health into your own hands by going to somebody who can't test you even if they did do testing uh, so that's the biggest for me that has been the biggest drawback with this. A lot of people are not comfortable with telemental health, although others prefer it. Uh, I have colleagues who have given up their uh, face-to-face practice and gone strictly telemental mental health because they're saving money and time going to the office and yada, yada. But these are also clinicians who are much more um, <clears throat> normal. Uh, of course, that includes just about any in the population other than me. And uh, practice more, uh, the more, quote-unquote, standard of care. They don't do testing. They don't like testing. They think they can diagnose Without it, and as I've said to them many times, they're delusional to their face. And I like them and they're good people, uh, but uh, I wouldn't go see a clinician who doesn't do testing. I just think that I consider that malpractice, frankly, but that's just me. I want to make that very clear. That's my own standard. That is not the standard of care according to the APA or anybody else. Having said that, I won't do telemental help with someone who I haven't seen prior to being in the office, either a former patient who's now relocated and doing tele help, or uh, somebody who says, hey, I'll come to you for the, for the testing. Uh, the, the one exception to that is I, can't, I have figured out ways to do the MMPI over the Internet, uh, but it's more expensive wow. and more time-consuming. Right, so what I do is I end up uh, reading the items to the client who's sitting right there and, and the client answers it, but i got to charge them for the time it takes me to read them. So they're paying almost double for the MMPI, but it can be done. And so that's the one thing I can do and that I am willing to do for folks who can afford and are willing to do that. Uh, yeah. But <clears throat> if it's a person, excuse me, if it's a person who needs uh, psychoeducational testing or neurological type stuff, they have to come to the office. There is no substitute for that. And as you know, I do a boatload of that work. Uh, and I like it because it really gives me an insight into somebody's operation. Now, after that, if they want to go when the therapy is appropriate and they want to go to tele-mental health, that's fine. The other thing I would say about tele health is there's – you have to w- look at a lot of factors uh, when you're doing that because there's people that you can watch, <clears throat> excuse me, that you can see in person uh, who are high-risk cases. And I would not under any circumstances see those people over the internet. And I think that you need to be able to differentiate those, and not all clinicians know how to do that that well. Uh, but you also have to look at things like How are you approaching? What's your body language? What's the lighting? How do you confirm that the person on the other end is who they say they are and that they are where they say they are? So, for example, let's say you get somebody who says, hey, I'm in the state of Georgia, and they're in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Well, now you've just crossed state lines without a license. Yeah. Now, in covid um, all those bets are pretty much off and a lot of states have said we don't care as long as you're helping people. We don't care if you're licensed under state or not. You can, you know, some states have done that. Some states have not. Um, now, irrespective of that, I, and I'm going to say this with a caveat. I think this is true, but I wouldn't 100%, but it's about, I'm about 95% sure. All states, uh, I will say this, every state that I am aware of, Uh, allows clinicians to practice 30 days in their state without getting a license. There are some states who, because of this COVID thing, Florida being one of them, uh, I don't really know this because a colleague of mine has just done this, will give you a telemental health license for a fee, obviously, to practice in their state, but you can only do it for telemental health stuff. So some states are opting for different methods to do the telemental health. But you've got to look at things like camera angles, lighting, your facial expressions, the environment you're in, making sure the person you're seeing is safe, making sure the person you're seeing doesn't have the door open or they have little kids in the room, or if it's an adolescent, the parents aren't listening on the other side of the door. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to consider. And if you don't have a clinician who knows about that stuff and hasn't had some total mental health training, I would strongly recommend you find somebody who does. Um, in fact, there are various bodies uh, who are giving certifications and training and certifications in tele-mental health counseling. Uh, Marlene Mayhew's organization, who I'm very fond of, uh, she's a wonderful woman and very sharp and been an advocate of this for probably about 30 years now. Uh, Wow. And she's one of the ones that APA kind of tapped to say, hey, can you help us set up some basic ethical guidelines, which some states have, uh, a lot of states actually have adopted Uh, the tele, I think it's Telebehavioral Institute in uh, California. And she does training and her training is really good. I've taken some of the training. She offers certificate levels of certification in it. Uh, And again, it's not cheap, but the training is first rate. I mean, she's a really no-nonsense – she's a sweet woman, but very no-nonsense clinician, very experienced clinician, and uh, has authored chapters and books and, you know, the whole nine yards. So I would recommend that whomever the person gets training under, that they get some training in uh, telemental health, because it's not just oh, it's exactly the same as inpatient, it, uh, in person. It's a similar, and certainly some of the uh, typical rules of, of uh, you know decorum apply. But you got to you know to quote Mr. Anderson, Beavis and Butthead, you got to finesse it, uh, <laughs> and you got to know how to finesse it. And some things are finessable, and some things are not. You know, I would not work, for example, with an actively suicidal person. Telemental health. Um, particularly someone who's volatile like a cluster B personality disorder who's you know threatening suicide and use it every time you don't do what they want or whatever or it's just too emotionally volatile not to do something or somebody who's volatilely homicidal or somebody who's actively psychotic because you don't know if they're taking their meds or not and if they're talking crazy uh, quote-unquote are they you know drunk are they a result of their meds if they're a person who's uh, alcohol and drug abuser uh, how do you know if they've relapsed or not? Are they, if they're acting funny, how do you know they're not just upset because their dog died or if they're drunk or stoned? Or, I mean, <laughs> you, so you've got to be much more uh, aware of things like body language, gait. You have to see them walk. Uh, you have to pay attention to things like grooming. Are their fingernails dirty? Is their hair messed up when they don't have hair like mine? Uh, you know uh, <laughs> what sort of clothes do they wear? You know, because you got to look at right. that. Because if they're looking really disheveled and run down and sleep deprived, and their eyelids are droopy, and you, you got to be much, 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 much more observant, because you're missing. You know, you can't smell them if they haven't had a bath in a week. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's no smell of vision on uh, computer monitors, right? And you can tell all. You can tell a lot if the person is in person. You can't. You're missing all those cues on the internet. And that's why I would never do telemental health by phone, just by phone alone either, even though that is considered telemental health. Any form of phone texting, uh, you know, chats, any kind of, you know, internet chats, any of that kind of stuff, all of that is considered quote-unquote telemental health. So if it's somebody you know real well and you're doing phone check-ins every now and then, that's fine. Somebody you've never seen, a new patient, you also have to have the forms have to be different. Uh, if you're working with folks who, you, who might have uh, co-occurring physical issues, you have to know the ER. You have to talk to their. You have to get permission to talk to their physician, or you should make sure they're on the right medication. Uh, who's a person in case an emergency happens in the area? Do you have permission to contact them? I mean, there's a lot involved here, folks. So this is not oh, I'm going to get gotcha. a computer monitor and I'm going to you know do Zoom. Or Doxy or some other uh, secure whatevers, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't really like Zoom for that. I like Doxy. That's the one I use. It's it's a free service. It's HIPAA compliant. It's really really good, and the person doesn't have to download it to their computer. You just send them an email, and it says, "Hey, uh, the doctor is in. Click on this link, and you come in, and there I am. Whoop, there I am." Uh, and it's, it's 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 a really good. Format for folks doing that kind of stuff, but I'm very selective about who I do telemental health with because uh, you just you can't be too careful because people's lives are important and you don't want to just you know take it lightly.
1: Right. right. Yeah. And and that's a perfect segue into the next part. The next part. I'm getting some echo of myself. And I don't know if you're able to turn that down just a slight bit. Um, but sure. the next thing we want to talk about is how to choose a good mental health professional. Uh, online mental health professional, and we're going to talk about some of the things that you just brought up, and then we can get into them in some more detail, because these things are going to enter into it exactly, and again, we're not unmindful of the fact that we're kind of scrambling in an emergency, and sometimes people have very little choice in what they have, and we get it as long as you get it that this is not ideal and we're going to explain why. And then you're going to have to figure out for yourself, you know, get your band-aids on, but then you're going to go, have to go to the urgent care and you might have to go to the emergency room, you know, and I mean this euphemistically as far as your mental health, you know, but you'll have to tend these things for yourselves and we're going to equip you with the understanding of the situation so that you can judge these things and get the best care you can manage. So, Section three, how to choose a good online mental health professional. So let's start. Here are some tips on how to choose an online therapist or even to discuss if having to convert with a previous therapist. Like if you were seeing somebody in person and because of quarantine issues or whatever, now you're going to be doing that online, which is kind of ideal because some of the problems with not being in person will be solved by if you've ever been with them in the past in person. You know, you could have done your testing already. You could have established some physical behaviors already that they might need. And, you know, that kind of helps the situation a little bit. And the source for this is Talkspace.com, which actually was one of the apps I mentioned earlier. So rather than just what a lot of people did when they were scrambling, you know, punch in your zip code online and grab whoever first says yes. Um, here's some questions and some situations for you to think about. So try out this prep work first before you dive in. Um, First off, knowing what you want to work on with your therapist. That, That sounds oversimplified, but a lot of people don't actually have clarity on that before they start calling people. And you need to do that because it gives you a place to start in your search, just like real life. You know, if you want to talk to your doctor about your stomach problems. You you need to bring that up at the beginning. You need to know that you have stomach problems. And just like this, if you have anxiety or somebody died from COVID and you're not really coping with it very well or you lost your job and you're depressed, you you need to be able to talk about what do you want to work on. And some therapists may not feel comfy doing that work virtually. You know, they may have been working with you previously. They may not be ready to do it online, even if they were doing it before, and you all have to navigate that as well. Maybe they need to talk to somebody who can do it virtually and kind of partner with them or something, but you work that out. Just give it some thought. So the next one, have an idea of the length and frequency of your sessions. So this is typically predetermined when you do stuff in person. But being virtual has made this somewhat malleable. You know, there are people who do 15 or 30-minute sessions. There are people who can do an hour at 11 o'clock at night and not just Dr. Mathis. (laughs) There there are people who can do that, whereas you couldn't do that in an office situation most of the time. Um, So have an idea of what you want to do with that. Um, find out the costs in advance if at all possible. You should be able to get this in advance. They're going to differ from what you get charged in person. And what will be as much of a shock is that some of these services charge quite a bit. Maybe not as much as in person, but it's definitely not going to be like 50 bucks for a video chat for some of these things. So there's some who do it for free, but A lot of times they're really not a whole lot better than a really educated layperson that's your buddy and you're just having a phone call. That's really kind of what you're getting. If that's all you need, that's fine. But you got to be able to be sure that's all you need, and you might not be in a position to be sure. So find out these costs and find out about insurance and billing procedures because a lot of insurance and billing people weren't prepared for COVID either. So they don't know how to handle these video things, especially if they're not standardized, if they're not the usual hour once a week, that happens a lot in, in meat space. You know, they don't know what to do with that. So find out how that's gonna work. If you can't find out in advance, find out like the minute you walk in the door. Know what your honest preferences are up front, and this is really not any different than a regular physical doctor. If It really means a lot to you, things like gender, age, other demographics, or topic, speciality, or methodology. If those are critical for you, like some people don't want to have a mental health professional of a certain age or gender because they want to talk about a topic and it makes them uncomfortable. Maybe they want to talk about sex stuff and they don't want to talk to an opposite gender clinician. You know, it, it shouldn't matter, but if it does matter to you, you need to know this and be honest um, so that it can get addressed up front um, before the first appointment or early on the first one if you can't do it in advance. And if you have certain forms of therapy that you want, you need to mention those, such as you want somebody who does CBT, for example. Um, some professionals are very limited in their Internet skills. So if you want a variety of options, such as text, phone, email, Zoom, video chat, you need to express that up front. You know, you might find somebody that's managed to master Zoom, barely, but they don't do that much texting or they're not that savvy about it or it takes them a while to get back to you in email. You know, you got to kind of know what you're working with here. And try the therapist equivalent of meeting for coffee before going on the first date. And and what this means is before officially starting the sessions consider seeing if your therapist that you're looking at will chat with you over the phone or online real quick. It's an effective way to kind of feel out whether they might be the right fit. It's similar to how people are considering dating one another will meet for coffee before they're going out to a serious dinner. It's not a foolproof method, but it seems to help a lot of people get it down and dirty, is this a good fit, or do they kind of give me the heebie-jeebies a little bit? Now, um, this part I want to read to you guys is very important, and at the end I'm going to definitely ask Dr. Mathis to jump in. One word of caution on shopping around for a mental health professional outside your home state. Most states have different licensing requirements for therapists. Now, most of what I'm going to tell you, More applies to in-person, but each state's different, and that's what makes this a little sticky. So generally, a therapist would not be able to practice in a state they're not licensed in, so you need to make sure you choose a therapist in your state normally. Also be aware that some online therapists might actually not be licensed. The terms therapist and psychotherapist, that's one reason Dr. Mathis is not fond of that term, They're not legally protected, which means anybody can use them and just slap it on something, regardless of their actual qualifications. And always verify that you're working with a licensed professional. Some people can derive limited benefit from some of the free phone help and apps and somewhat loosely trained persons offering phone and video sessions, text, that sort of thing. But just like a physical doctor or any profession that does best with extensive training and skill, one does what one might have to in a pinch and understand that that's what you're doing. But it's not going to produce the same results as licensed and trained professionals. So please bear this in mind with the proliferation of alternative providers. Now, there has been some changing around with the licensure stuff because of covid and all the scrambling, and Dr. Mathis knows a lot about that. He's mentioned it a couple times already, and I'm going to cut him loose here and let him get into all that stuff. So some stuff changed, and then when we finally get to let go of some of these restrictions, it's going to change back again, and I'm going to let him talk about it. So, Dr. Mathis, let's talk about virtual licensure and out-of-state stuff and all those things you were telling me earlier because they're super important, and a lot of people don't have any idea how it works. So let's go.
2: Okay. So what's happening <clears throat> hey, I am a psychotherapist. Oh, that kind of psychotherapist. So the other kind. Um no, but all serious <clears throat> all all kidding aside in all seriousness. Uh the states have most states have temporarily suspended their interstate compact laws so that anybody can well, any licensed therapist in one state can practice in another state telemental healthily for a certain period of time. But states are switching around every five, it seems like every five seconds. And some states said, okay, you can practice because of this COVID stuff. And two months later, went, okay, we were, we were sending it now. Time is over. And that could, and that could switch in the dime and they could switch back two months later going, yeah, we jumped the gun. Okay, guys and gals, you can come back and do it. It's okay now. It's, we're going to keep it going for a while. And then two months later they go, no, nope, we changed our mind. We're cutting it off. And the problem of that is, if you have established a relationship with somebody you like who's not licensed in your state, except for this COVID emergency thing, and then the COVID emergency thing goes away, then you're kind of screwed uh, if you're hot and heavy in the middle of it and you need more than 30 sessions a year. Because if, according to state laws, most states will allow clinicians who are licensed in one state to practice in their state for 30 days a year, um, but after that, you're not, you're practicing illegally. So and 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 you know it just some states you have to call the licensing board to get the permission or tell them you're doing it. Some states you just do it and make note of it and just don't go over the this stuff. So it's really you know it's kind of catchy as catch can, and that's why you know some folks have contacted me, <clears throat> you know, outside of the show, and not because of the show, but just you know, folks who saw my bio uh, or whatever. And said, "Hey, would you do work with me?" And I, and like you suggested, I always call. Them, I said, "Let's do a consultation first, and I do a consultation on the phone with them to decide if this is even something that's feasible." And for some people, it's just not really feasible. And I say, you know, I would love to uh, to help you out, but I I can't given the limits of. Oh, you live in a state that that's not allowing that, or hey, I've tried to contact you, and this happened recently. Hey, I tried to contact your state licensing board. And they didn't even have the courtesy to respond to me. So I don't really know what to do because when this COVID thing goes away, you've got stuff that I don't want to just dropkick you on because that's not that's not cool. That's not kosher. And I would rather you find somebody that is licensed in your state, even if it's supplemental health-wise, here's things to look for. And I sent this person a billion-long check off list, and the whole person, they sent me a... Uh, You know, a note back saying, thank you very much. I was very kind of you, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, that's not kind of me. That's what responsible people do. (laughs) I mean, come on. Uh, So you've really got to be careful with that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you just have a temporary whatevers and, you know, you need a three to five session, 10 session, whatever, you know, this COVID thing is probably going to go on to the end of the year. But having said that, not all states are keeping this thing on for the rest of the year. And I've even talked to some malpractice insurance people who are well-connected, and I said, okay, what are you guys getting, and what are you gals hearing? And they're going, they're pulling the same crap on us. So one minute they're saying our people are okay, and the next minute they're saying, okay, we changed our mind. So it's, a it's, you know, to quote a friend of mine, and excuse my rudeness, it's a shit show. You know, make your mind up and stick with something. None of this jumping, you know, from thing to thing, you know, because the wind blows a different way so you've just got to really be careful with this kind of thing that's all i'm saying uh there's a thing uh, abreast now called the interstate compact where psychology people and social work people sign up for the compact and they get approved of the compact but the compact has very screwy laws and rules and regs then you can practice across state lines uh, even after COVID is over but they have to get a minimum number of states to do it, and they're having a hard time getting states to sign up because the license boards have to agree, and it's just, it's just a mess. So all I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with telemental health if it's a relatively mild thing and a short, you know, short-lived kind of thing because even after COVID's over, if you've got something that can be handled in 10 or 15 sessions, you're probably going to be okay. But if you've got something that's convoluted, complicated, long standing, you're probably going to want to see a person in person. And you're gonna find some, find somebody in your area who is still seeing people in inpatient. I have never stopped seeing people in person. This COVID thing has had no impact on my practice at all in a deleterious way. Uh, I've done testing, I've seen people face to face, you know, so you know, COVID can go screw itself as far as I'm concerned. I'm not saying I don't take it seriously, I'm saying it's not impacting my practice because I have people most of the people that I have are fairly intense cases and they need to be seen and i have a responsibility to do that and i've just stepped up the plate and done it you know and folks have been very good about coming in and some people have come in, chose to wear masks some have not uh but you know they're also six you know eight feet away ten feet away or whatever so it's not like we're in each other's faces the testing uh thing is a little more close quarters and you know i'll say to them hey you know, if you if you would like to wear a mask or whatever, you certainly may. That's, you know, I understand, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you just have to be kind of careful about some of this stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. I guess the bottom line is if you're going to do tele health with somebody, vet the person you're doing, ask to speak with them for 20 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, on the phone prior to doing that. I do that with live patients. So when folks call in, I'll spend 15 or 20 or 30 minutes on them on the, with the phone, to make sure that they're the appropriate person for me, because if they're not, I don't want to waste their money and my time seeing them for something that I'm not going to be appropriate for them when I've got you know referral lists of people who do what I don't do really well. And why wouldn't I send them to somebody who does really, really well? Because that's a win-win for everybody. I get a good rep for being responsible. They get a good therapist. The therapist gets a good patient. This is a no-lose proposition, folks. So that never that's never been an issue for me and it it always blows my mind how people think somehow there's like this big competition thing going on and there's not there's you know there's plenty of problems in our world to go around (laughs) you know we're we're probably not going to be you know sitting on the street corner going alms for the poor unemployed therapist kind of thing uh and i can tell you that during all this covid stuff probably the the several things that I've seen an uber increase in is substance abuse and addiction for sure. Uh, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's just sad, uh, but you know, you do the best you can and that's, that's all any of us can do. Uh, but I would say just call and choose your, your, your therapist wisely, And if you're going to do tele-mental health, do some investigating to see if you have something that you think is applicable Uh, or find somebody who's qualified, bona fide, certified, or in my case, certifiable. Thanks, I'll be here all week. And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, ask them and talk to them and just come out and point blank say, do you think this is something you feel that's workable under the auspices of telemental health? And, you know, what do you think and," and blah, 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 and just go from there. Those are not rude questions to ask. Those are educated and smart questions to ask
1: yeah i I agree with you, and I think it's very important for people to know that you know about the thirty days thing and about how the rules are crazy, but right now they're bending in your favor so if if things are going on, you know get the help before they start changing the rules again, and then you can't
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, no kidding
1: yeah so all right, so I'm glad that we've cleared some of this stuff up is uh, there anything else about this topic that you want to squeeze in before we start wrapping up here?
2: No, yeah, I think I'm good. Thank you.
1: Okay. So in summary for you guys, we hope now that our listeners better understand how to best choose an online therapist. And we hope that you guys have taken to heart our cautions against leaving things unfinished. You know, it's, self-diagnoses and all this other stuff don't sit at home and try to figure out what's going on with you even in this crisis go ahead reach out to something but also understand that the closest you can get to licensed traditional professional we know that your choices have been limited because of the emergency but the closer you can get to that the better If you're not able to get that, get what you can, but make plans in the future to keep going with your treatment and, you know, to find somebody who is trained in these things. Because, you know, it's kind of like treating your physical ailments. You know, you can put a Band-Aid on stuff and take an aspirin and then after a while you might need to leave and then you might be in the urgent care getting a pain shot, you know, if you let it go. It's the same kind of principle. You know, do what you have to for now, but You know, watch the licensure, watch the professional accreditation. Um, And if you just need to talk to somebody, that's fine. But if you have something a bit more pathological going on, you're going to need to see somebody. And we can, arrangements can be made for that. You know, there's a lot of stuff, even with Delta coming around and possible rolling back of some of the restrictions in the fall It is possible to see people, and if you get an opportunity to do that, take advantage of it so you can at least get, you know, if there's testing that needs doing, if there's things that need to be done in person, get that out of the way, and then you can continue online, and so that way you can watch your safety but also watch your mental health. So also I want to give a particular thanks tonight to a few of our listeners who have contributed advanced notes and feedback about their experiences with telemental health for use in tonight's show. And comments and questions from our listeners about upcoming topics, previous topics, or just simply personal questions about mental health issues, these are always welcome. I want to remind you guys about that. We have an email address on our website at www.rockandrollshrink.com. And we have a messenger on our Facebook page, and you guys are welcome to contact us. And if there's stories that you want to tell, we can keep it anonymous. You'll notice that so the anecdotes we've shared are completely sanitized, and we will protect your identifying info if you just want to share a story to help other people out. So don't be afraid to give us a message about that or a question. So this concludes our show, Dr. Feel Good, Choosing Online therapists. On behalf of myself, Dr. Mathis, and the NDB Media, I want to thank our listeners this evening and give our appreciation to those of you who might be joining us later via podcast, iTunes, etc. So we'll see you guys in two weeks with a new topic for discussion on Wednesday, September 15th, 11 p.m. right here on blogtalkradio.com. I also want to give a shout-out to other NDB Media shows that are coming up in the next couple weeks. Tomorrow night, Thursday, Travel it's Radio on uh, 9-2 at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Why would a woman take a solo driving trip, experience a face-to-face encounter with a 2,500-pound buffalo, and have all kinds of other adventures? Find out on Thursday, September 2nd when Just Returned travel author Julie Valerie joins Travel it's Radio for a special 30-minute interview. Hear about her visit with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen nugent Lee. On Saturday, Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning. That will be hosted on Streamlabs. Uh, Go to the NDB Media page for the link. It will be posted there Saturday morning. Sunday the 5th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, join me with the Walking Dead online viewing party. Season 11, Episode 3, Hunted. Synopsis, Maggie's mission team gets separated and hunted by the Reapers. Carol, Rosita, Magna, and Kelly attempt to catch horses for Alexandria. Judith, R.J., Herschel, and Gracie cope with their parents going away. Please join us online or on the air by phone for real-time discussions, updates, trivia, profiles on the cast and crew, and more. Monday at 10 p.m., Monday Night in America, Roger Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, Entertainment, sci-fi, and history also hosted on Streamlabs. Tuesdays, The Nightmare Hunter with Roger Noriega has moved to Tuesday evenings, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, also on Streamlabs, and Tuesdays at 10 p.m. here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Fandom Access Week in Review. Join the terrible, tri- uh, the terrific. I beg your pardon. The terrific trio of Jamie, Karen, and AJ as they dig into another night of television. Please look for the Rock and Roll Shrink on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next time, and rock on. Good night.